Hello, I'm Sasha O'Connell, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to Mission is Possible, a series of audio episodes where we break down and dig into the management issues of particular relevance to the national security community. Today's episode is a joint project between GuideHouse and FedUpward. Speaking of FedUpward, we are pleased to have Love Rutledge, founder of FedUpward and host, join us as co-moderator for today's episode. On this episode, we're going to talk about career readiness and how students and young professionals can best position themselves for success in the national security field. After a great virtual event on career readiness in late July, I got a chance to speak further with our panelists, which included Nicole Gibson, partner, National Security Sector at GuideHouse, Tommy Peavehouse, Senior Intelligence Analyst, Military Commission's Defense Organization, and the founder of DC Hopefuls, Shanna Thompson, who's a director in the National Security Segment at GuideHouse, Eric Pompum, a senior consultant at GuideHouse, and then myself and Love participated as well. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for co-hosting today, Love. Can you tell us a bit more about Fed Upward and what made you decide to start it? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I started the Fed Upward podcast after I had a hell of a time finding resources for myself when I was pregnant with my first child five years ago. I had all these different organizations that I had to go to to find what I needed. And I was someone who was a GS-15. I'd been in the government for 15 years at that point. And I thought, if I'm having this much trouble finding what I need, I'm sure there are other issues that people are struggling with that are just hard to find answers to on a daily basis when you're working in a bureaucracy. And so I started the podcast as a way to give people the advice that you might get from a big brother or big sister or a mentor that you might not have in the office where you work to tackle these just day-to-day issues that come up all the time. And you can find the podcast at fedupward.com. And I try to tackle things that are timely. And some of the issues that came up in the, the session and the webinar I've addressed on podcasts. So resume writing, how to present yourself on LinkedIn, how to find networks of folks that are in the field that you want to be in, those kinds of things are addressed. So I hope folks will go and check it out. When you were listening to the discussion, what's the one most important or key takeaway that you could share with young professionals who are trying to break into a career in the national security sector? So it's something, you know, I think we heard a couple of times in the panel and and some of the other speakers on the podcast, but I can't emphasize enough kind of keeping an open mind, right? I tell my students all the time, I ended up as the chief policy advisor for science and technology at the FBI. And my background is neither in science nor technology, right? And not to say I wasn't qualified for that job. I mean, I couldn't picture it at the time, but I sort of evolved in a way I never could have imagined. And one of the just truly amazing things about careers in national security and in the federal government in general is just really, you know, the world is your oyster and there is so much opportunity for both responsibility and authority. And I will, my one thing does have a big caveat and that is, you know, it does take some patience, right? If you don't really want it, if you don't really love the mission, it's tough to get there because it's hard, right? The road is bumpy, but if you think about the road as part of the process and not just blasting through it, you really can get to incredible places and have just unbelievable opportunities. So an open mind and patience, I guess those are two things, but uh, I'm going to roll them into one. Sasha, I totally agree that you have to love the mission because it is such a difficult career. Shayna, after being a part of the panel from the event, can you share what your biggest takeaway was? 
That's a great question. I think there were so many insightful things that were shared throughout the discussion that it's probably hard to (laughs) narrow it down to just one. But I think my biggest takeaway from the panel was really just the the insight that that everybody kind of brought forth and the different perspectives i think having the outward perspective as well that's kind of outside of guidehouse but what sasha shared around kind of her view coming from you know academics and things like that was a huge takeaway because i think there's things that she is in turn kind of telling people to be prepared for and then that also needs to influence and impact the way that we are kind of doing things once we receive candidates and stuff like that on an annual basis for whether it's interns or kind of full time so i think seeing that full circle kind of view of what it is that like i said those in kind of the the academic world are encouraging and coaching folks to be able to think through and then how we in turn have to make that come to fruition. So I think that on top of the answers and the questions that the audience had about where their mindset was, you know, things that they were worried about, especially in this new kind of wave of, you know, COVID-19, that's all insightful and definitely provided a good perspective because again, it further makes sure that we as the leaders, when individuals are joining our Guidehouse family, do all we can to kind of make them feel as a part of this as they really can be. So for me, those two elements, like I said, Sasha's position from the academic side and then hearing from the actual, you know, students about what their fears or worries or concerns were, I think, again, made it really real for me. Nicole, being a Guidehouse National Security Sector Partner, you have a tremendous amount of experience working across many different agencies. In your eyes, what's the difference between working in the national security sector on the private sector side, potentially as a consultant, and on the public sector side. And what networking changes do you think are important in terms of looking for career advancement in both areas? Yeah, that's a really great question. I I would say, you know, as someone who has spent the majority of their career in the public sector, you know, it's not, I don't really see any difference between the two. Because when I talk to colleagues and friends that work in the private industry and more with commercial clients, there's a lot of similarities in terms of of networking and and what occurs in in both those processes. I think, you know, what's most important and gets underscored during this COVID time is the importance of keeping up with those relationships. That's definitely changed over the, the past six months or so as we've been quarantined and spending less time together socializing over coffee or lunch or, or dinner and so forth. But there's still a real need to connect with other folks at other companies to talk about opportunities to team, to learn about how other companies handle different situations and, you know, just to keep up with what's going on in, in different industries, right? And I don't think that changes between whether you're working in the public space or or the private space. I think now we have to be more deliberate about maintaining those relationships. I think we we all took for granted how easy it was to either walk down the hall in your office or in your client building or or wherever and just catch up with folks. We have to be much more deliberate with our time in, in doing that. So, you know, as people are networking during this this time, I think being more deliberate, putting reminders on their calendars to check in with folks participating in more online virtual events. There's so many events that are occurring online nowadays that people can participate in more regularly and, you know, just getting involved in those ways and finding people on those sessions to connect with, reach out to via LinkedIn or or through mutual connections, things like that. 
still really important to do during these times. But I wouldn't say that there's a huge difference between the two. Eric, in your experience of recently graduating from college and beginning to form a network and then COVID-19 impacting the world, how did you navigate networking during this unprecedented era? I used to be going to networking events like all over the D.C. area for that particular group, as well as other external organizations. But with, there has been a large shift towards virtual meetings, which, you know, it's not necessarily as strong, but it gets the job done. I think something that I've noticed with regards to networking in the COVID-19 era is the fact that we're missing out on conferences. Conferences have always contributed to strong networking. And we're really missing out on those in-person, walking around a conference, looking at different booths or or attending and meeting new people face-to-face. That's definitely missing in the COVID-19 era. Something that I've noticed some companies start to do is shift to virtual conferences. And they recognize that the networking aspect is, it's not necessarily there. So what they've started to try to figure out other ways that they can improve the networking aspect of these virtual teleconferences. One in particular that I've attended during the COVID-19 era, it was for a a big data software platform company, and it was their large market event of the year. And they had to do it from a virtual perspective, which they were definitely unhappy about, but they, hey, they got it done. When they did it, they allowed users to sort of like put information about how they're using the big data platform and what is their sort of problem space and then expose that to other users to try to get them connected to the other users that are attending the virtual conference. I, I did this with the um, and put a little bit of information down and, and was able to view the list. And I actually recognized someone that I had previously met at one of their on-site, like on their their in-person events last year. So I was able to reconnect with them and talk to them more about this platform, as well as also talk to someone that is using the platform for the exact same problem space as me. I thought that was a really cool way of changing the way that these virtual conferences are done and you know add a little bit more networking aspect to it during this era. Thank you so much, Eric, for your input on networking in the COVID-19 era. While networking plays a huge role in everyone's career, it's also really important to not have one dream job in mind when trying to kickstart your career in national security. Sasha, working at American University and previously at the FBI, aside from networking, do you have skills that you stress to your students to get them ready for when they're applying for jobs and, and really pulling the trigger? Yeah, as a program, you know, and sort of now my leadership role, I think about three buckets or three segments for our students that we're working on simultaneously while we have them with us in the program. The first is that academic foundation, right? And again, my background is in public administration, and I find the frameworks, I mean, not to nerd out a little bit, right, the normative frameworks we teach, as well as the empirical skills we teach, um, to be incredibly important in real life. And so that is a foundation of our program and something that we know will serve our students well in the future and really differentiate them both to get jobs and then to excel when they get those jobs. So that's bucket one, is that core academic piece. The second piece is those wraparound skills, right? So we do a lot of cool stuff in the in the Terrorism and Homeland Security Policy Program around skill building. We're actually launching a virtual lab this fall, entirely focused on executive communication skills in the federal space. So how do you brief? How do you coordinate? How do you facilitate a meeting? How do you walk and talk, right? How do you write emails to senior executives? How do you respond? All of those skills 
are extraordinarily important. And so we have a whole series of skill building workshops. And then again, we're launching this lab this fall. And then a lot of the faculty, I know I do, and a lot of our faculty build that right into the coursework. So practicing presentations, practicing public speaking, practicing group work, all of those things. So the academic frameworks, that normative piece, those skills. And then the last thing is the networking. And again, it's something we talked a ton about on this panel, but you know, whether it's with the faculty, whether it's with guest lecturers, whether, you know, most importantly, it's with the cohort, right? Each other, colleagues in every context, extremely important. Making those connections at a real level so that those things can carry forward. Because again, again, it's not just about getting the jobs, but it's it's about being able to get things done and collaborate across even when you have those jobs. So I would say those three buckets, right? That academic framework, those skills, and then the networking piece. Tommy, being a rising senior and a summer national security intern at Guidehouse, do you have any thoughts about how you got your foot in the door you want to share and what others might do as well? Well, that's a great question. And I would start off by saying to really evaluate your story and why you're interested in national security is something that's really important. For me, I've always been interested in how countries relate to one another. But when I spent a month traveling the Silk Road in China, I really became interested in how countries protect their individual sovereignty. So that's a little bit about like my story, but I think it's important for everyone to have some sort of story. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to travel around the world to find your story. The next piece of advice that I would advise people that are looking to enter this space is to apply for anything that may be of interest to you. You might not know the company. You might not really understand what the job is asking for. You might not think you're qualified enough, but apply anyway, because you never know what's going to happen. And what that does, those job postings also allow you to learn more about the industry. You can Google the terms. You can better position your resume to get selected. And so by just doing those small actions of applying and writing cover letters, I think you better position yourself for success when that interview does come. You know the vernacular and you know a bit more and you feel more confident. I totally agree with that. I think it's really important to find a way for applicants to be unique in order to stand out. A friend of mine who got hired in a ladder position where she came in as a GS7 and got promoted to a 9-11-12 without having to compete, she got picked up specifically because all the candidates had great educational experience. They had great job experience, but she had worked for a professional hockey team. And the person doing the interviewing loved hockey, right? And so that was a launching off point for a personal conversation that was engaging and interesting, and it really got the ball rolling for her. So don't be afraid to put experiences that seem a little quirky on your resume, because those are the things that are going to stand out. When you're reviewing 20 or 50 or 100 resumes, they really all look alike, guys. So make sure you're doing something to differentiate yourself. Love, that is so true. Everyone has their own unique story as to how they got their career started. Something that I think young professionals should know is, you know, great, you got the job, but how do you cultivate success and add value once you get there to the company or agency? Shana, being a director at Guidehouse, what do you think are the key skills that young professionals need to have in order to be successful in their careers? Yeah, absolutely. And again, like for me, it's like I said, it's not many folks that I know that kind of stay in one position or with one company for a long time. So I know I'm a little bit of a of a unicorn in that respect. But I think that for me, the things that I think that really have made it 
truly real for me in terms of what's really needed to be successful here, whether looking back at my own career or looking at how others have moved forward and kind of matriculated in theirs. It's really about kind of being hungry for what it is that you want and going after it. I think if when and if ever that starts to go away, it's probably a situation where people maybe have kind of hit their their point and they're not going to be able to to really get from an opportunity what they want. So the idea of staying hungry and staying vigilant about learning and growing and being open to kind of venturing into new ideas and things like that is what I think is going to to really allow people to be successful. So being able to be nimble and flexible is helpful because in a consulting environment, that's the name of the game, right? There is nothing that remains constant. I think the only thing that, you know, is constant is change really in this environment. So every day there's always going to be something different and something new, but you also don't want to get complacent either. Challenge yourself, stretch yourself. So those types of skills about, you know, being willing to, to be uncomfortable, I think is what people have to be okay with. Being innovative, of course, being technically, you know, savvy, of course, that's always something. But I mentioned, you know, in the panel, the softer skills, those are the things that are also pretty inherent, right? Being able to be compassionate towards others. We're in a client service business. So ideally being compassionate and kind of putting your client first and really being open to putting yourself in their shoes and things like that and trying to really figure out the best way for them to be successful, agnostic of you know the dollar amount of a contract or anything like that, but really kind of putting the people first, being a good listener, being somebody that is you know open to receiving feedback, being somebody that is, you know, willing to kind of go above and beyond is to me those elements that sometimes get overlooked because it's not a book that is written on some of those softer skills. But those are the ones that at the end of the day really make you likable make people want to work with you, make people want to team with you. And those are the elements that essentially for me, like I said, have kind of really helped me progress. That and the last thing I would say is maybe just relationship building and relationship building on all fronts, whether it's your current team, your client, the people that are more senior to you, those that are below you. Everything about relationships is what makes this job really kind of tick the way that it's supposed to. Because the more people trust you, whether it's on your team or on your client, the more you're able to kind of build that rapport and have a relationship that is predicated on much more than just delivery. And I think at the end of the day, people want people who have their back and things like that. So if you are, you know, kind of genuine and sincere about caring for others, and that goes back to the compassionate piece at the beginning, and really kind of putting, you know, others before you and and everything like that, people see that. They sense it. They feel it. They are actually able, you know, to kind of hone in on it. And that makes people more willing to kind of go to bat for you or do what's needed for you or pick up the phone at nine o'clock at night when they don't have to. But those are elements and skills that as you kind of basically shape that over time or whatever, you'll find that it'll make your day-to-day life so much easier once you have some of those pillars in place. Shana, thank you for that. A popular question frequently asked by young people when they're thinking about entering the national security sector is the role of security clearances. What is that role and how do they change over time? I don't know that they do change. I think, you know, one of the things I thought about first with this question is, 
it's kind of challenging when you're first starting out in your career because you you've moved a bunch of times usually between college and and home. You've got so you've got a lot of different connections that you're you're meeting. You've got you've lived in a lot of different locations. So I think you know at a very tactical level, it's challenging at the beginning because the documentation that that goes with you know figuring out where you want to go in your security clearance career and pulling all that stuff together. It's it's kind of time consuming to do all that kind of stuff. But I don't think that clearance changes necessarily as your career develops. I think how you operate in the cleared space might change. I think now that I've been doing this 20 plus years, I think, you know, when you first get into the cleared space, it's it's very, it's overwhelming, right? You, you're responsible for keeping things at the right security levels, you know, the, the government has has instilled in them their trust that that you're going to protect information, right? And so there's a there's a huge weight and responsibility that comes with that. I think the more time that you spend in the space, the more time that becomes inculcated in everything you do. And so it becomes less of a stressor in terms of thinking about all the time. And it just becomes part of who you are and, and what you do over the course of your career. That I think is really more of the change is that it becomes a holistic thing in in your career and in your in your job than it does when you when you're first starting out. But it's you know it's definitely something I think as people think about where they want to go in their career, thinking about, you know, that responsibility and, and really taking it seriously when you go through that whole process. Cause it does take a lot of time to go through that process. And you know, it's definitely something that will become an important part of your life and career. And so really taking that responsibility seriously is important. Thank you so much, Nicole. On that note, I'd like to thank all of our panelists today for their time sharing with us and sharing their thoughts and insights into this very relevant topic of today's career readiness in the COVID era. To find more information on the GuideHouse Speaker Series, please visit GuideHouse.com. And to find more information on FedUpward, please visit FedUpward.com. It was a pleasure having you join us today.